Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. You're listening to Agile for Humans with Ryan Ripley. Learn more at ryanripley.com. Hey, everybody. Ryan Ripley here. This is actually not an episode of Agile for Humans. So Todd Miller and I, we came up with this new experiment. We started doing some YouTube shows over at uh, youtube.com forward slash Ryan Ripley Agile. We created this show called Craft Brewed Agile. What we decided to do is have a, a nice conversation and perhaps a, an adult beverage with some of our friends in the Agile community. This episode is with the Liberators. So Barry and Christian out of the Netherlands, uh, they do some amazing work uh, globally with liberating structures, uh, professional scrum courses. We sat down, we talked to them about how they built their business, what their views are on scrum, how they've used liberating structures to help their students learn and and so much more. So we hope you enjoy this. It's a new show. This is the audio version. Again, check out youtube.com forward slash Ryan Ripley Agile if you want to see the video. Um, We hope you like it. Let us know in the comments. Uh, Hit me up on Twitter at Ryan Ripley. Let me know if you liked this and we'll keep them going. And so what we've got going on today, Todd, uh, Todd and I are back. We have brought... We have a European influence with us now. We're going to see what the what the beers look like in Europe. We've invited the Liberators, Barry and Chris, uh, fellow PSTs with Scrum. You know what? You guys introduce yourselves, right? Let the listeners know. I keep saying listeners. The watchers, the viewers know, right? Chris, you first. Yeah. So, um, well, professional Scrum trainer and also steward for Scrum.org. Um, b- uh, together with Barry, uh, we have the company called The Liberators. Barry will talk a little bit more about what that is. Um yeah, about me, I really like working with software development teams. I've been doing that for a long time and um, have become really passionate about that. And I hope to spread that passion through all the stuff that we do as liberators. That's like the very tiny short version of an introduction. And then what kind of beer are you rocking today, Chris? Well, what I'm drinking right now is a, is a Danish beer. Uh, it's called Implosion. It's a dry hop, non-alcoholic beer. So it's um, I, I do drink beer with alcohol, just not right now. Um, and it's a, I really like the bottle. That's what I picked. <laughs> That's what That's made cool for my decision. Um, I haven't tried it yet. I'm going to do that in a moment. Very nice. Barry. Yeah. 
So I'm the other half of the liberators. <laughs> uh, I'm actually going to skip the whole explanation part of what the liberators about because I understood from Todd that today's topic is going to be entrepreneurship. And I'm sure that we'll touch on uh, so what the liberators actually doing during this, uh, this episode. So for the most, I can just plus one Chris, like Stuart, PST, uh, but I think the biggest difference is that I'm a horrible developer. So that's going to be a, a, a minus one. That's one of the reasons that I sort of thought, uh, considered years ago of becoming a scrum master. Uh, but that's a different, that's a different story. Very nice. <laughs> it turned out quite well. Um, and the beer that I've chosen is, um, it, it's, it's, Chris knows it. It's a Volkspils and it's a white ale. So I'm not the guy that is going to tell you all kind of smart stuff about beer. I think it's a white beer. It tastes really good. And um, it's also connected to the entrepreneurial topic that we've chosen because this is the beer that they serve at the hotel in which Christian and I host all our events and all our meetups, etc. So that's mostly the reason uh, why I've chosen that beer. Mr. Miller. Hey, it's me here. What are we drinking you know, today, Todd? Beer I have? That's, yeah. That's about the most interesting thing that I have to say right now about beer. So right now I'm rocking a um, Refreshing by Tired Hands. This is out of Ardmore, PA, which is just outside of Philadelphia. It's one of my other, um, it's one of my other favorite local brews. And it's also got a very interesting label. So you see that, Chris? Wow. Yeah, very cool. Great. Yeah, they do some pretty cool artwork. So that's what, that's what I'm going to be having while we have this conversation. Very nice. And so there's a brewery out of Williamston, Michigan. So I'm trying to, I try to keep it local, right? And uh, let's see, maybe I'll switch. So there's a brewery out of Williamston, Michigan, Old Nation uh, Brewing Company. I'm drinking the Electron Brown. So this is an espresso bean double brown ale. So for Barry and Chris, it's the evening. For Todd and I, for me, it's about 10 a.m. <laughs> and uh, I had to find something. Uh, that I could drink. Otherwise, um, this would be an interesting day. So Electron Brown, um, Espresso Bean, Double Brown Ale. We're going to give it a shot, see how it goes. But uh, Todd, you've got the question of the day. I do. You, you know what? I'm going to push it right back to you, Ryan, because I'm going to ask you this first. And uh, we'll give Barry and Christian some time to, to, to think about it and to, to curb the question in their favor. So uh, <laughs> when you graduated high school, Ryan, what did you want to be when you grew up? So when I left high school, I wanted to be a lawyer. So I actually, I loved I the idea. That. I love the idea of the law. I loved, actually, I wanted to go to law school to be a politician. And so I wanted to really? be some kind of representative or senator. Um, I mean, I guess anyone can be president now. Um, so that, but that wasn't really a consideration then. Um, but uh, yeah, I really wanted to, to I did pre-law uh, my first year of college um, plan was law school and then, um, you know, someday run for office. Um, and that was my path. And of course that veered in some weird and different directions to where I ended up in the, in the business world. And as first as a software developer and then worked through companies, but yeah, my initial dream was, uh, someday like house of representatives or Senate or, or something like that, even at a state at a, even at a state level. I can see that. I can absolutely see that. Yeah. And so let's put the let's shine the spotlight on Barry. Mm. What, what what did you want to be when you grow up, Barry? So what's 
What's the time box? <laughs> uh, wow. Well, first I wanted so, to be a fireman, then I wanted to be a... No. <laughs> How about well, from the yeah. high school forward? Like, what was your dream? Like, where? What? what direction were you in, Barry? Yeah, but yeah, so... I sort of had an interesting journey for about, I don't know, uh, I think it only all came together about three years ago when I started my own company and, and also together with Christian because um, I think edu education-wise, I think I chose about eight different directions. Um, so I did a bit of journalism, I did a bit of marketing, um, I've done several schools that were about teaching um, I did some uh, IT education, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and afterwards I also was searching for jobs in that direction. Somehow I ended up in a uh, at an IT company, became an application manager, and from that moment on, uh, fulfilled roles like project manager, uh, stuff like that. Um, I always had some idea that I wanted to have my own company, but always a bit in the background. Um, and for years was kind of clueless what kind of company I was going to have. And, and now in hindsight, it all makes sense. Like it all is like a combination of teaching, marketing, journalism, stuff like that. It, it all fits together right now. But for years, I was more like, and even my parents were like, so what's that guy doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> and what do they think you're doing now? Did, 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 did have, because my parents have no clue what I'm doing. No, no, they don't have no, still don't have a clue, but they think it makes sense. They're more like, probably this guy seems to be doing something good. And, and, uh, <laughs> I, I like how they call you this guy and not Barry. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, there's this guy, he shows up, he raids the fridge, he has some stuff here, we're not sure, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind oh, of funny, like my, uh, my six-year-old daughter is continuously sharing with every... Uh, other child at her school that her dad is a zombie scrum fighter. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And you guys are the zombie scrum fighters. Yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. Todd and I just break bad scrum. We're not tough enough to kill the zombies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris. So, yeah, Chris, how about you? Oh, man, I really have to say this. Um, after high school, my plan was to become an astronomer, but it didn't work out. I wasn't clever enough, so I didn't pass the I didn't pass the bar that you have to pass in order because you have to do a lot with math, and I was really bad at math. So um, <laughs> it, at the, at the time, I was doing a lot with computers. So I thought, well, let's just do software engineering, and that's what it was. Um, but I really wanted to be an astronomer. And it's still interesting. I still read a lot about it, but never did anything else with it. So of course, life went very different than what I expected. Yeah, I, I loved astronomy classes in college, Chris. I, I totally get it. I think it's fascinating, but the math was kind of crazy. Yeah, and I'm, I'm happy that I actually didn't do that because I, I would have really struggled with all the math. Uh, it's mostly math, um, but it's still a fascinating field to me. Um, but after high school, I sort of made an interesting twist because I did software engineering initially, but when I was done, I sort of discovered that um, I wasn't really all that interested in how people used software and computers. I was more interested in the people and how they interacted. So I decided to do psychology, which also was influenced by, because I fell in love with a girl <laughs> that was doing <laughs> that. So that's how that goes. Um, 
but my parents at the time were also like, why are you trying to combine software engineering with psychology? These are two different fields, has nothing to do with each other. Um, so support there was a bit limited, to be honest, uh, but now they do see where how it works, and that's really cool. Did they reference you by this guy? Or <laughs> yes, well, that you? guy, actually. <laughs> that guy. That guy. <laughs> so we have this guy and that guy. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and for you, Todd, what, what, what was it like for you? I was actually hoping to escape this question. No, 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 for... no. Okay, so this this actually might be a, a, a giant shock. Uh, so I actually have a degree in uh, criminal justice. I was going wow. to I was going to school to become a police officer, and uh, I was working at in EMS, my you know, in a, like a, a with an ambulance company for a few years and got to know a bunch of police officers and they told me to get a backup degree and I got my backup degree in computer science. <laughs> so I was going to school to become a cop and I got my backup degree in computer science where I fell in love with coding and took a job wow. coding. It's very so, cool. Yeah. And is there ever a time when you're like, Todd, where you're like, um, Hmm, cop would have been cool or pursuing that would have been cool. Do you ever think that? I do. I, I, I think from about it from time to time because I really did like the public service aspect of it. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, uh, that's what. So when we do the PSM2, I think of the scrum police, right? You know, how I, I at times have exhibited writing out scrum tickets and finding people in the workplace. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, yeah, so that's. So I think if we would have asked the viewers, like, who of the four of us would have had the ambition of becoming a cop? <laughs> Somehow, you would sort of like get the most votes. I'm I think sure. people would have probably flagged Todd for that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to know why, but we'll save that. We'll save that for for, for, for another. Todd's another like, day. what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least compared to Barry and me, well, the both of you are actually physically probably more suited for being a <laughs> cop than us because I'm like this tiny small guy. <laughs> well, I'm tall, but that's it. No. Yeah. Oh, very good. So fun question. It's it's always interesting where, you know, it, it's always been mind boggling to me that we expect 18 year old people who don't even have fully developed brains yet to decide their futures and and I'm, I'm grateful. I always had great support. Like my family was, all right, what are you going to do next? What are you going to try next? And um, so I was able to actually fail a little bit, try some things. And because I mean, I'll tell you what, I, I love the path that we're all on now. And that's actually why we kind of, that's why we got together, right? We're, uh, Todd and I are endlessly fascinated with the Liberators. So Barry and Chris, they formed this company in the Netherlands called the Liberators. They provide professional scrum training, liberating structures workshops, you know, they, they do some of the most sought-after um, coaching and training in all of Europe, to be honest, and they're considered two of the foremost experts in liberating structures. And so, what, you know, Todd and I kind of selfishly wanted to talk to them a little bit about this entrepreneurial bent that they have, um, how they've, they've formed their company. But guys, if we could start, like, I, I'm really interested in your purpose, like, you know, because I think that's what drives a lot of people. You know, for Todd and I, we have a purpose that, that will end up... Um, you know, leading to these types of podcasts and leading to us writing a book, um, you know, and all these things. But for you guys, when you think about the liberators and as you put this company together, like what is the purpose that gets you out of bed, that drives you, that that makes sure that you, you, you stay on track and that just really um, fuels that passion that you seem to have in, a, in all things Scrum and LS and, and, and I think more importantly, serving people? 
You yeah. want to kick it off, Barry? Yeah, sure. Um, so we started the Liberators about three years ago, and uh, we actually spent quite a lot of time in uh, refining our purpose. So we really took a couple of weeks, maybe even a couple of months to have a lot of conversations with each other. So actually, what is our purpose? Um, and we already had some ideas that were quite close to what it is right now, but really make it tangible. So not only defining a purpose, but really translating it to something that really clarifies to, so what are you actually going to do on a daily basis? To fulfill the purpose that was a bit more difficult um, so eventually in short the purpose of the liberators is unleashing organizational superpowers um, and it sounds quite cool but what does it mean <laughs> so what are you really going to do on on, on daily basis um, and one thing that was quite quite clear is uh, was also a good question is uh, so what is it that we are actually not going to do and something that we were not going to do from the start already that was clear is consultancy. So we really do not consider ourselves a consultancy firm. Uh, we also don't really believe in the way that a lot of consultancy is happening nowadays in, in a lot of organizations. Um, so the question was more, if we are not going to do consultancy, then what, we are, what are we going to do? Um, and then we ended up with training and workshops and events. Um, but training is another interesting topic because we were also quite clear that the way training is being done nowadays, um, it, it is a movement that is shifting in a good direction, but like the classic training is also not, not something that we were enjoying. So no consultancy, no classic training. So, so then what? <laughs> and um, what we ended up with is basically uh, growing a community a community of Scrum Masters um, and helping that community or providing that commu community with all the uh, tools and tools could be like podcasts, could be like videos, could be blog posts, could be card deck, could be anything, but provide that community of Scrum Masters with tools by which they can unleash their organizational superpowers. And maybe Chris, you can just continue this exploration. Yeah, sure, I can, I can add to that by connecting it maybe also back further in our personal work experiences because I, Barry and I have a fairly similar work experience in the sense that we work for fairly small companies or at least that's where our, our careers mostly start at. Um, internet agencies where a lot of the work was very much focused on actual customers, actual paying customers that my team and Barry's team interacted with. Um, and, and both our companies started working with Scrum. I think Barry initiated it at, at your company. I did it at mine. Um, and, and we both saw how well that worked um, and what was made possible for teams by working in an incremental fashion. And I, w I didn't even call it Scrum initially, and I don't know about Barry, but it was more something that grew organically over time. Um, but it really reaffirmed my own beliefs, just speaking for me, um, about how you want to interact in the workplace and also outside the workplace. Um, and you want to have an environment where the professionalism of developers is taken seriously, where developers actually talk to the people they build things for, because that's a lot of fun. Not always, but it's usually a lot of fun. Customers can also get angry with you because it's different than what they expected, but that's also good. Um, and I think that 
that experience, that positive experience that we've had shaped our work afterwards as freelancers, but it also influenced very strongly our mission as the liberators. Um, it's based on our own experience and our own, well, success story. I wouldn't call it a success story necessarily, but like our own experience with what worked for us. And we're hoping to make that possible for many other teams. Yeah, the sequel, what sort of like um, is an experience that Chris and I both had is that uh, within our own small companies, we sort of explored how to use Scrum ourselves. So instead of, mm -hmm. and I think that journey is something that each Scrum practitioner should experience as well. So instead of pretending that we are the expert and that we are going to tell each company how to do Scrum, we want to help them create an environment in which they can sort of like ignite their own journey. Um, and we just want to sort of like fuel their journey by providing them the tools to do it. But they really should sort of like drive change themselves. We cannot do it for them. So that's also the reason that we mostly are doing workshops, public workshops and public events in which we bring together the Scrum Masters that want to um, have that journey within their own organizations and just create an environment in, in which they just share experiences with each other. And we, Chris and I, are just, just two other participants. The only thing we do is that we basically set the boundaries and set the structure in which these Scrum Masters have the conversation with each other, but we are not standing in front of the group pretending to be the Scrum experts. Very nice. I, I heard something, I mean, there's a lot of great things here we could, we could chew into, um, you know, but you guys have talked a lot about the things you must do and must not do. And I think that leads to principles. Like what are some of the guiding principles that, because I mean, I'm sure you get a ton of offers where, hey, come and work for us. Hey, come in, in our company for a long extended period of time. You, you guys said up front, you're not an agency and that's not the work you want to do. And so that probably mm -hmm. means consulting's out the window. But you have other principles and practices that just really define the way that um, define the way that you work. Like maybe it's must do and must not do, or maybe it's like some guiding principles that that direct the you know how you how you conduct yourselves and how you how you make decisions. But can you share any of those that have really helped keep your laser focus on this purpose? Mm. Yeah. I can start with one of them. Um, already uh, touched on it briefly um, because one of the principles is that we uh, hardly do any in-company work anymore. We were only doing it if it's like in a different country where it's quite difficult to do a public workshop. That would be the exception. But we really only are doing public workshops. Uh, and the, re the key reason for that is that we've learned that although in-company classes and workshops can be fun and useful and considered valuable, we did notice that it was kind of difficult to have the impact that we wanted to have. That sort of like in-company, the mindset of a lot of participants was in a way fixed. It was like, that's a good story, we liked it, but this is just the way our organization works. Um, and we noticed that when we invited those people into a public workshop and have them interact with a lot of different participants from different companies, it wasn't us that needed to explain that it could work. All we had to do is just bring them in contact with other organizations and then sort of like it, so it, it spread out it, uh, it, itself. It wasn't us like convincing them anymore. And 
we noticed that those were more fun classes to provide and also the impact was higher. So that's one of the principles we stopped doing in company work and focus on public work. You know, it's interesting that you say that, Barry, because <clears throat> I get that feedback a lot that when I, when I do a uh, internal class that they'd like to speak with other people from different perspectives. Yeah, I, I, I go by the belief that every organization is a snowflake. Every organization is totally different hmm. uh, because people are totally different and cultures are totally different. And so I think it, um, it is impactful to have a person from one organization and one corporate culture speak with a person from another organization, another uh, culture and the different problems that they're facing within um, and have themselves solve. I know uh, you are huge on that. You've just stated that have themselves solve and come up with ways for how they can change an organization. So that hits home with me uh, big time because I've heard that quite a bit. Mm. Cool. Chris, you know, do you know another principle that we're using? Yeah, I'm just while you were talking about this, I was trying to translate them into must and must not do's. Um, so maybe the, the must here is must include different perspectives. Um, mm. And, 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 and there's a very practical reason for that too, because what I personally dislike the most is when people say something in the vein of, ah, that's not possible. That doesn't work here. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that so many times where it was not, where, where, where we showed afterwards that it was possible. It wasn't always easy, sure. But that, that idea of things not being possible it's, it doesn't make sense. Just look at what's happening in the world right now. A lot of things that are now happening would never have been deemed possible a couple of weeks ago, and they're happening. So if we really want to, and this is, of course, different in an organization, but if there's urgency, if people see the need, then things are possible. Um, and that's what what is so helpful about bringing together different perspectives, because you can then let people that have actually done it talk to people that believe it's impossible. Um, and that's basically what Barry and I are trying to create because we can tell them that story. And we have experiences where it was possible, but it's even more powerful when they hear it from many other people too. So that inclusion of perspectives is definitely one. And uh, Barry also kept, uh, mentioned this one as well, is that all the work we do must really be focused on making actual improvements in organizations. So we do some in-house work every now and then, but it's, only when we really know that the organization is going to do something with it afterwards. And it's not just to learn something or to get certificates. It's really action focused. Uh, So with some of our, well, we actually have two clients that we do some in-house work with occasionally at the moment. When we get together, we really want to have 50 people, at least as many perspectives as possible in the room. We want to have a specific challenge that we can talk about with those people. And we want to come up with specific solutions that they can then implement together. That's sort of a must-do that we also have. Yeah. Um, so that that's just two things. And the, well, we must not act as experts. I think that's also a must-not that we we have in a way because we're not experts. We just have our own experience, and that's just as valuable as as someone else who is not a professional Scrum trainer or a steward or has just started with Scrum. You know, that, that's been an inspiring part of your work that Todd and I have adopted. You know, we we co-teach your course, so for the for those of you who don't know, Barry and Chris created uh, Scrum.org's Advanced Scrum Master class, the PSM2 class. They uh, they they wrote the whole thing. They um, they they tested it out extensively in the Netherlands. They then collaborated with uh, Stephanie Ackerman and Simon Reindel to pull it into Scrum.org. Um, 
and they just did a brilliant job with it. And so Todd and I have co-taught this class many times. We were actually supposed to co-teach it um, in a few weeks here and with Barry and Chris, but unfortunately the world events have prevented um, some of that. But we were able to do that with them last year. And something that we really loved was that, um, you know, some of these must-dos and must-not-dos. And we've carried that, that idea that we're not the experts, even in our book. You know, we, we tried to make it clear that um, we are giving you guidance. We're giving, we're showing you the questions we ask, but we don't know the right answers. Like we don't know what's right in your context, but we want to, we want to bring different opinions forward. We want to try to, you know, bring different ideas out. And that really inspired us to change the way we do our work. And so I think when, you know, when we t- co-teach the the PSM2, which is just such a beautiful class, it we think it's like this love letter to Scrum Masters, but it also kind of has a two by four every once in a while in it too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we set from the out from the outset. We are not the experts here. We're setting up an experience for you um, that we're equally participating. We're equally learning. Um, we just set the structures, and you all do amazing things. and And we really have pulled that out of your work, and just really appreciate that from the two of you. Cool. Thanks, yeah, Chris. Uh, you said something. You said something that triggered a thought for me. Um, uh, would you guys like to see me make Ryan really upset with just a few words? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, I know what Ryan, but in the real world, yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so whenever a student says "but in the real world," I just lose my mind. I just uh, Todd knows how to trigger. You know what? I, I agree with you know Chris. You were talking about the not possible, and I think you know if anything, if if this past month. Uh, has taught me anything. It's that the unthinkable is thinkable and possible. And, and I just, when we're working with, you know, people and teams and companies, you know, what if someone says it's not possible, I've just started turning to them and saying, you know what, you're right, unless you want to try something. And I, yeah, it's, it is fascinating. Something else that uh, I've noticed about the liberators, what's really fascinating is you guys have a lot of support. Um, And what I mean is it seems like um, there's people doing there, there's there's participants in this who are um, they do a lot of your graphic work you know Chris your wife is doing uh, wife or girlfriend uh, wife wife I'm yeah. sorry I wouldn't no that's okay <laughs> so Chris your wife um, you know she she does some amazing photography and videography um, you know I know Barry you you've got some some people helping with some things as well like. How have you brought together this kind of team? Because it's just, you guys have this eclectic mix of awesome, talented people who, you know, they do the, the drawings for your, for your work. You know, you know Chris, your, your wife is doing the, the video and the photography. They do just beautiful work. Like, who are the people, because we, we, clearly we don't know all of them, you know, who are the people that's really supporting this? And, uh, and how did that all come about? What a great question. Shall I kick this off, Barry, or you want to start? Yeah, go ahead. Well, so um, I, I also want to make sure to mention uh, Barry's girlfriend because she's done a lot of drawing initially in the past, and she's really helping out a lot with all the, like the, I think Barry and uh, Gerdine, uh, girlfriend, they wrapped all the Scrum framework banners that we have, which was a lot of work, I can cool. imagine. So that's, that's that's good to mention too. Um, but yes, we have Thea, Thea Stucke. She's our visual illustrator. Um, and she made, she does all our drawings, the Scrum Framework poster and many of the others. Yeah, and she, I just, I, I know her personally through church. And that, I, and we asked her if she would be interested to do this for us. And she was, and she still is two years or three years later. 
um, so that's that's something that organically happened. And the same actually was for for Lisanna, my wife. Um, she's a really good photographer, and she was interested in making pictures of groups of people and their interactions, just as an experiment to see if she could capture what was happening on people's faces. And that's sort of how that started. So these are two people that are three people, Gerdine included, that are really helping us do what we do as liberators. But there are, there are more, and, and maybe Barry can talk a little bit about that group. Of yeah, yeah. Maybe just another example is that for the larger workshops that we organize, we always uh, form a design team. And the design team is responsible for preparing and conducting the workshop, but also doing some aftercare. And, and we always invite two or three people that uh, we think are doing a great job in the community um, and ask them if they are uh, willing to help us out with that one. And for us, the benefit is that we can always learn a tremendous amount of things from them as well. Um, and they'll get the experience that uh, what it is like to organize large, large scale workshops. And it also helps in a way to, I don't know, um, create a stronger foundation for the Scrum and the Brain Structure community that we are maintaining. And by using this principle, each time a different design team with different members from the community, we also get to learn a lot of great people that can help us out with future events. Um, so that's also an idea that really took off really well. Yeah, maybe so to add also to that is that we also have a large group. The, the Netherlands has the benefit of being small, but it's also pretty densely populated. So you have a lot of people living pretty close to each other. Mm. Um, so in a way, and it's also very central in Europe. Um, so it's easy for us to connect with a lot of people that are working in our community and doing pretty great things. A lot of scrum.org people also in this area. Um, and, and I think that's also something that's really helped us, the community that's that we're also benefiting from and that we're building in both at the same time. Um, we have a group of patrons that are actually supporting us with small contributions every month, which is just growing. It's an experiment that we're doing, but it's it's really quite humbling actually to see how willing people are to support our work, which for Barry and me just started because we like doing it. And and apparently people like that. And that's nice to see. But maybe I've got another example of a must not do. Um, and that's some, a, I think quite a difficult lesson that we've learned over the years. And it's, I'm not sure if I explained correctly, but it's like fixed partnerships. And in a way, you could say that uh, we have a partnership with Scrum.org. Uh, but in the beginning, we made many partnerships with other freelancers, other entrepreneurs, and other people that are awesome. Let's be clear about that. Um, but we made all these kinds of contracts. And, and, and in a way, what we've learned is that Christian and I really value our freedom in a way. And uh, given all the complexity that that's, uh, organizing workshops and events and, and, and doing the work that we're doing, um, it's quite complex. So you can't really predict what's going to be next. So it's also kind of difficult to predict like, okay, so we are going to form a partnership as a bunch of freelancers or entrepreneurs that we're going to work together for the upcoming year because it, something might happen and the, the partnership might be like completely not uh, valuable or becomes irrelevant anymore. So we do collaborate with a lot of people um, and we do give commitment when we agree uh, on something, but we're not going to 
form any multi-year agreements with each other because it's just for us it's just not working out yeah well the only multi-year agreement is the one that we have together right uh yeah. Harry, you and me yeah. yeah so and that's all always a recommendation that we because a lot of freelancers approach us to ask us for tips on how to start working together because they do see the benefit of working with other people and we've had our share of experiences too also before deliberators and our tip is always when you work together share the benefits but also the risks and the problem is that one of the things that often goes wrong is that the benefits are shared but not the risks um, and then it always goes wrong you always get conflicts and, and different expectations so in our case we just decided to dissolve our individual companies and really merge them together into one so we're financially really dependent on each other and i that that's a challenge at times but it's also a very healthy challenge and a yeah. healthy balance and that's often missing and we see that that's also a reason also in our own experience in our past where it goes wrong if you don't have that so i think that's uh, Günther Vahey. Günther Vahey is another from the dog trainer wrote the books from a, a, a pocket guide and i think he has a i think it's his quote he has a quote and it says um in the face of complexity simplicity is our path and in a way, also from an entrepreneurial perspective, that's sort of a principle that we use a lot. Uh, because things quickly and easily, and it's done with the best intentions, but things quickly become too complex. So Chris and I continuously are asking ourselves, how, we can, how can we make things as simple as possible? I think this is a cool look into your structure. Like I, and I was very curious about this, but something that... Uh, that that Todd and I have talked about quite a bit. So I, I do have a question though, and, I, and and hopefully this doesn't lead to something, doesn't go down a bad path, right? But when there when there's a decision to make and, and both of you are kind of locked up, like Chris, you're thinking one thing, Barry, you're thinking another, how do you resolve that? Like who actually has like the final say as far as what you're going to do? Like how, how does that all work out? That's a really good question. I don't think we've, but Barry, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we've had situations where we're completely locked up. We have different opinions sometimes on, on what the best way is to proceed. But so far, the best way to resolve those is to have a beer in the hotel <laughs> that we're, we're, when we're waiting for a, a training to start and just talk about it um, mm -hmm. or in the car or on the train or on the plane. Um, I, up to this point, that's been the way we resolve conflicts that we have and we do have conflicts just to, we can talk more about that later um <laughs> but that's that's one of the things that so far at least has been going well but maybe that's also because when you address the conflict early on and you talk about it it doesn't escalate further and it doesn't always work because sometimes it does a little bit and that's okay too because conflict is just natural um so yeah, we don't actually have something there, but in our agreement that we made at the start, there's actually a clause that says something about mediation. So if we would really be stuck, we would have mediation and the final solution would be to dissolve the liberators and that's it. But there are, there are strategies we have in place for that, but we've never needed them. That's great. And often we try to just use an empirical mindset as well for, and, and just like, Maybe I just don't see an idea that Christian has in mind, but then the, often the answer is, let's just do an experiment and try to make the experiment as simple as possible. So when it fails, it doesn't really hurt that much, but let's just give it a try hmm. and uh, we'll see. And I think I trust Chris fully and uh, I like to believe that Chris trusts <laughs> trust me as well. 
Um, <laughs> no, I trust you. I trust you completely. So pretty. <laughs> if you couldn't see that, Chris was uh, vigorously shaking his head no. <laughs> <laughs> I trust you completely, Barry. But I think that we're uh, on on a on the level of values and norms. We are quite well aligned. I think yeah. we have different idea, yeah. uh, the same idea on how to do something. What's important about how we do something, and I think that's really important. If if we would be very different, it might be a much harder. Yeah. Well, and that's the inspiring part of your guys' work where, I mean, you, you can see that when you guys teach together. You can see it as you guys collaborate on, on the videos, the podcasts, the blog posts, where you have very different perspectives. Like, definitely think about things a little bit differently, but you're 100% aligned. The trust is, it's almost like, you know, trust uh, and courage are, are, prere- are almost like these prereqs to, to being able to work well together. I think we teach that somewhere, don't we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> so, you know, I was going to I was actually going to ask too to dig into this conversation a little bit, because, um, Chris, you mentioned you mentioned a, a collective shared values. Uh, how do you see it? So you, you all come out zombie scrum, right? Uh, like the Walking Dead. You're mm-hmm. kind of like the people out there doing that. So <laughs> let's go dig into that a little bit. How how, how do values uh, and a collective shared understanding of what values you're going to adopt. How, how does that help? Um, not just you guys, which we're seeing, I think, a lot of the content that you push out, but how does that help an organization when they adopt a particular set of values? That's a big question. Um, maybe, maybe just to make it very tangible in a way, when Barry and I started with the liberators, we did, we started by writing down some of the things we wanted to do with some of the ideas we had in mind for products and services. And then we started drilling deeper. So what do we hope this will make possible, this particular class? Or I think we already had an advanced Scrum Master on the on the board at the very start. Um, so we started digging deeper and asking why. Why is that important to us? And eventually we ended up with the mission of the liberators, which encapsulates a lot of the values that are important for us. But I think that also in a way answers your question because by actually doing that exercise, I, I don't really want to call it that, but by doing that together, um, it, it's very easy or it's relatively easy for us now to make decisions um, in, in the face of the options that we have, like very cool customers or a conference where we can speak. We can always use the values that we have in place to think about, does it actually work? Does it support what's important for the liberators and for us personally? Or is it something that we should say no to and maybe pass on to someone who may be better suited for it? Um, and I think that's also how values help organizations and teams make decisions. It's sort of your um, your guiding light. I think most companies. I think that's really awesome. I think it's really awesome because I, I I will tell you personally that I struggle with saying no. Right. I I love to say yes to so many things. So I think that. Um, if you fall back and look at the values that you've adopted, that saying no maybe becomes a little bit easier. Uh, yeah. But I, I've, I very much struggle with saying no to things, right? Um, and I, I'm, I, I will immediately say yes to something really big and just go for it. So I'm, that my, my goal for 2020 is to be a little bit better at saying no. <laughs> What's a value that you have that might help you there? Do you already have an idea what might be sort of a guiding principle or value that you can use there? I'd like to say courage, I, but I don't know that that's necessarily it. I think focus. Let's go with focus. I've, and I'll, I'll reference the Scrum values. I think focus is probably the, the, a value that I would say that I need to uh, concentrate on with saying no. 
Well, and, and I think understanding our purpose and how we contribute or diminish that purpose with each and every decision. Like yeah. there, the difference between the word yes and no, like I, I think yes is actually one of the worst words in the English language. Like we've talked about this quite a bit where, where yet every time you say yes to something, what are you saying no to? And how often do you think about that? And I, and I, I don't think most people sit back and think, wow, I just said yes to something. And here's five things that I said no to because I've committed to this. And, and that's where um, I think we get in a lot of trouble. It's like, yes, I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say yes to this this opportunity, but I just said no to my principles. I said no to the the purpose of this company. I've said no to, and if you just take a moment to weigh that, because a no is really just a no to the thing, and and I and I wish people would spend more time before they say yes. Like pause, think about does saying yes to this thing actually amplify my purpose? Does it support my values? Is it going to let me put something into practice that I believe in? And I have found that since I've become a, kind of aware of this idea, um, I'm saying no a lot more because the things that I'm, I get asked to do, I mean, they just aren't part of my purpose. Like they're not part of what I want to put into the world. And, and I, I really think this is a, a super important concept for people. Here's a challenge, right? So if you're watching this, think about every time you say yes for a month. And every time you say yes, write down three things that you have implicitly said no to because you said yes. And at the end of the month, review that with your spouse, your partner, um, your, your business associates, whoever it is you're working with, and see if the yeses were worth it. And I will bet you a beer, half of them were not worth it. That's a great, ex- that's a great way to think about it, this, Ryan. Wow. So I, I, I had never thought about it that way. That if you say yes to something, you're saying no to other things. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I wonder if this is going to get me out of folding laundry later today. <laughs> <laughs> you better say yes to that one. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, something that I got in the mail recently. So Chris, you brought up, or I, I think Chris brought up some products, like the way that you guys do these. I have the new Ooh. Liberator cards. And I am just so immensely impressed with these. Like they've come up with their own Liberating Structures cards. I hope you can see them on the on the film here. Um, these are just amazing. Like I, I bought a bunch of these. I'm, you guys shipped them out real quick. It was awesome to get them. I'm really loving these and enjoying them. Um, Chris, where can people pick these up? Um, they can get them at shop.deliberators.com. Um, I'm sure you can put the, the yep. link in the show notes or something. They can also email uh, Linda van Sinten. I'll share the name with, with you afterwards. She's the person who created the cards. It's also her cards, her set of cards, Creative Elephants, her company's name. Uh, but she's one of the very active uh, people that we have in the Liberating Structures user group in the Netherlands. She wanted to do this. She wanted to start a company about drawing and, and visualization. And this was just a way we helped her make that happen. Uh, and I really like the cards. It's really cool. They're really nice. Yeah, these are wonderful. They're really nice to lay out strings. It's really nice to kind of plan out some of your work. I mean, I, I've I've used these already. I grabbed, I've got an extra one for Todd. Todd, yours are sitting right here. Yeah. You're all, I'm going to hook you up. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just one of the many products that you guys have put out. I mean, it, it's just awesome. And, and that's kind of the kind of the last question I had, you know, it's the practices. And what would you say, I, for, I mean, sure, there's a bunch of people out there that are like, yeah, I really want to start working like this. I want to become principle driven. I, I want to understand um, the value that I bring and, and that we bring and really focus on that. Like, what would you say are some of the killer practices that like these are the things we have to keep doing, whether it's community building, the the podcast, the blogs. Or, I mean, what is it that that you think has just made all the difference 
uh, in trying to achieve this purpose of unle- unleashing the organizational superpowers um, in the Scrum Master world? Yeah, good question. Mm. I would say for me, what really helped me a lot, and I think deliberators in total, is that we really had a laser focus on what we wanted to achieve. And our laser focus was the Scrum Master. Um, and so how, how can we help out Scrum Masters the best as possible? And in the beginning, I did some experimentation with also providing other classes, like product owner classes and, and maybe some foundational workshops, but I was more like, me. Yeah, it's not really something that's given me a lot of energy. It was also in a way distracting. So Chris and I really choose to really la- have a laser focus on growing a community of Scrum Masters um and um and that, that is still challenging like we almost on weekly basis we have the opportunity to do something completely different and i'm not saying that we are gonna focus like on scrum masters eternally but whatever we are going to do um that's probably sort of like the the, the biggest focus in uh, at that point in time um because we've learned that whenever we started doing I don't know, multiple completely different experiments and things simultaneously, things started to go wrong. Like we started to making mistakes or forgetting agreements that we made with each other and it became a bit of chaotic and the community started noticing it and in a way started sort of like giving feedback like, what are you guys doing? So for me personally, the laser focus on, so what is it that you really want to achieve and what is it that is gonna set you apart from other entrepreneurs and other freelancers. That's what helps me out a lot. Yeah, I can maybe add to that two other things that come to mind while listening to you, Barry, is that the first one is that um, it's it's really important to do something that you really care about intrinsically. And I think that because Barry and I have worked as Scrum Masters for a long time, also I've worked as a developer, Barry has a lot of experience as project manager. Um, So this is something we really care about. And I think if you stick with something you care about, people see that it's authentic, you mean it. Um, When they listen to you talk, they can see in your eyes that you mean what you're saying. You're not just saying it because it makes you money or makes you sound intelligent or dumb or whatever. So it's it's also the authenticity, which I know is a very difficult tip to give because what does it mean to be authentic? But <laughs> stick with something that you care about personally that you would do for free if, if, if need be. And Barry and I started writing our blogs, I think six or seven years, maybe even more, 10 years ago, maybe even. We did it for free um, be, just because we like to share and it's still there. We have hundreds of posts now, um, but it really helped. And maybe the final thing, and it adds back to what we already talked about, about having focus and also knowing when you can say no to something or yes, when you like it. Barry and I very early on decided to create transparency around how much financial space we have in our company to do, to say no. Um, And the idea was always that if we say yes to everything, we make a ton of money. Um, but if we say no more often, we create space to do more of the things we care about, like recording podcasts, doing things like this, uh, writing blog posts. And we actually have a dashboard where we have the, those metrics in place. So I know, we both know how much space we have to, to do nothing um, or, well, not nothing, but not say yes to all the potential paid work that comes our way. 
And I think that's really been one of the things that's made it successful for us and also a lot of fun. So we can do what we like to do. I think that's overall really good advice from, from, from both of you guys. And I'm, uh, I'm uh, for everybody watching, I'm entering the year of no. <laughs> I'll bombard you with some interesting que interesting proposals from January onwards. Everyone, email Todd. Uh, ask him to do some outrageous things. Let him get him. Give him some good practice, right? Barry and Chris said that I should say no. Although we had capital an issue. no exclamation point. We have an issue, fellas. We've hit our time box. Yeah. Are the glasses yeah. empty? I saw. Yep, we got empty beers. The glasses are. At, Barry's still going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Barry and Chris, I just, uh, you know, Todd and I are, are certainly admirers admirers of your company, the work that you do. Um, I, I think we are at our most joyful in our work when we teach your class, um, and so it, it's just we appreciate you bringing that forward and, and letting us have joyful work like that. So, thank you. Uh, for that, thank you for doing this this podcast. I mean, actually, video or is it a vlog? I'm, I'm not sure what it what we're calling this anymore. But um, you know, craft brewed agile. This is what we're after. Let's let's enjoy a, a beer with uh, with our friends. The Electron Brown was amazing. Uh, another local beer. Um, it'll definitely. It's got coffee and beer, so I've, I'm. It just it'll equal out, right? It's pretty but, good for um, you at ten in the morning. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, guys, I mean, you guys do the work that inspires us to try to do our work. And so we just can't thank you enough for that. And uh, yeah, anything that you would want to promote. So we've talked about the cards. We talked. How about your book? Like, how is that going? When will it be out? And how can people find out more? Yeah, so, so oh, go ahead, Barry. You, you oh, no, I just wanted to say, like, uh, given all the circumstances, it's going really great. <laughs> <laughs> we have time to write, like a yeah. lot of time to write. So it's. It's going really well. Um, the book will be, I think, on the market somewhere in February, March next year, maybe a bit later, depending on how things turn out with Corona, what's happening there. Mm -hmm. um, but it's going really well. It's going to be a very nice book with a lot of practical and also some a lot of practical experiments that people can use to fight zombie scrum, but also to build deeper understanding about what's actually happening there in those organizations. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it connects very nicely to your book, to the one that you wrote, which is just excellent practical book to help people get started fixing things. Um, so I think people should read both. Well, we appreciate that. So the, of course, fixing your scrum, right? So Todd and I, for two years, so we understand a little bit about your journey, about two years of, of working through um, trying to get a book published. Uh, just best of luck to you guys. We know that... Uh, you're going to see this through. I can't wait to read it. I know we're, we've both said that we're super excited to get our hands on it. Super excited. Um, I, I can't wait to see what you've come up with. I think it's going to be totally complimentary to what we've done. And I mean, we're going to, we're going to push that your book just as hard as we pushed ours and, and can't wait to see what great things uh, both efforts bring to the world. Cool. All right. I think that's another episode of craft brood agile. Todd, anything to, to close out with? No. Awesome. Hanging out with you guys for a little bit. Um, it's a shame that we don't get to teach all four of us together in April, but we're looking forward to hopefully October. There we go. Yeah. 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 There people can see the four of us together, right? In one classroom, PSM two classroom. <laughs> yeah. we, we did it last year. Everybody survived. It's, uh, <laughs> that we all made it through. And actually yeah. that was probably the, the most fun, joyful class we taught all year. 
Same here. So join the next one, right? Yeah. When yep. is it? We I, have I think, to still schedule a date. But yeah. yeah, I think I'll say yes to that. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All right, Todd, always great to see you, buddy. The Liberators. You, I wish we did this more often. Thanks for doing this. Um, I'm, I think we're going to call that episode two. Yep. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Hey, everybody. It's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you. Todd, myself, and Will Seeley have put together an evidence-based leadership course. Now, this one's really exciting for us. As you all know, Todd and I and Will, we're all huge on evidence-based management. We think it is the next big innovation in the Agile space. But what we've noticed is the application at multiple levels has been troubling, at least for certain organizations. And what we want to do is make it simpler. And so evidence-based leadership is the course to come to if you want to get immersed into data-driven decision-making, the ability to actually validate that value is being delivered, to look at your ability to innovate and to deliver to the marketplace, and to actually identify and act on opportunities in the market that you may not know about and say closing that satisfaction gap with your customers, finding new channels and using data to drive those decisions rather than guesses, hunches and conjecture. And so we want you to join this course. We've got multiple offerings coming up this year. The link is simple. It's agileforhumans.com slash EBL course. Jump in there, use the code agile for humans, the number four, And you can take uh, 15% off the price of the class. So not only is it a new offering that we've discounted already, go ahead and take another 15% off because you're a valued listener. We can't wait to see you there.